0: This week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Bernadette Gilbert from the Penn State College of Medicine to talk about her journey to medicine and some things that she feels are important for our students who might be looking to apply to the Penn State Medical School. This is a wonderful episode. It is a bit on the longer end of things, but There's a lot of great things to learn about this important person in admissions and also the medical school associated with our wonderful university. So buckle up for this episode of the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. A quick note on this week's episode, there were some sound issues uh, when we initially started recording. My colleague, Kimberly Johnson, was intended to be the host. We quickly found out that there was an issue, so parts of this episode have been re-recorded at a later date. We apologize for any issues. I think we have cleaned it up pretty well. Uh, But if you notice any issues, that is what happened. Regardless, this week we are thrilled to welcome our friend and colleague from the Penn State College of Medicine, Dr. Bernadette Gilbert, to give us some insight on her journey to medicine and what makes Penn State College of Medicine such a wonderful place to practice medicine and to learn the practice of medicine. We're super grateful to her for her time and her energy. So let's have her introduce herself.
1: Okay, great. Well, again, thank you for having me um, this afternoon. Very uh, glad to to be here. So I'm originally from Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, was born and raised there. Um, All of my family still lives in Harrisburg. So that's actually what brought me back to Penn State College of Medicine when I came back in 2017. Um, So I grew up in um, the area of Harrisburg called the Allison Hill area. Um, And I went to uh, school in the Harrisburg School District, Um, had all of my formal training there. and And I graduated from Harrisburg High School. Um, which now is the John Harris campus, um, in the class of 2000, believe that makes me feel <laughs> old. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I, all of my family is, is still here. Um, grew up in a single parent household um i always say my mom i have a whole new per, you know um appreciation for her and everything mm-hmm. that she has done for me um one because it was us and four it's four of us and it's all girls So she um, had to deal with all the teenager things that I'm dealing with now with one girl. And there was four of us with four different personalities, four different (laughs) types of teenage girl stuff to to have to go through. Um, But my mom is always a huge um, inspiration for me just because she um, was able to do so much and she was always our biggest advocate. And I think a lot of the opportunities I had was because my mom was not afraid to ask questions, not afraid to make sure that we were getting, you know, the the highest level of education that we could receive, whether it was being part of a program or, um, you know, doing any extra extracurricular things. You know, the interesting thing is when I was a Uh, sophomore in 10th grade, um, Harrisburg High School and Penn State College of Medicine had a program where they would allow students to come to Penn State College of Medicine every Wednesday, and they exposed us to medical students, to the sim lab, to the anatomy lab, and each week you were exposed to a different part of medicine. And so to be honest, I thought I was going to be an elementary school teacher um, (laughs) is what I had all said that I was going to do. It was like, I'm going to be an elementary school teacher. I love teaching. And, but then in my ninth grade year, I took a biology class um, with Mr. Shelley and (laughs) I really enjoyed science and it just really sparked my interest in science. And then when I came in my 10th grade year, to Penn State College of Medicine and they exposed me to what it would be like to be a physician, I was like, wow, so I could teach, I can see patients, I could do research, I could do all of these things. I think I want to now be a doctor. (laughs) And of that program, it was four of us, two of us are doctors till till this day. Uh, My other classmate is now a pediatrician in Maryland, and we did that program um, together. So come back full circle here I am at Penn State College of Medicine <laughs> working and, and, you know, being the associate dean for admission. So um, so definitely a full, full circle kind of moment. But I think that's what actually sparked me wanting to go into medicine. And I think that's really with my passion of like wanting others to know that they too can have those opportunities, you know, um, coming from, you know, Harrisburg and inner city school district and things like that, but you still can excel and do wonderful, great things. Um, So that was just one reason that I also enjoy about what I do. Um, I am, I have a twin. um, So a lot of people don't know that about me. Um, Well, I will say, A lot of people do know that if you know us, you know that because Harrisburg is not that not that big. But for people who don't know us, a lot of times they don't realize I'm a twin. Um, We're fraternal and we have a lot in common, but a lot of things that we're very different, different about as well, too. But that was another reason for me to to come back home. Um, I am married. I will be married uh, 15 years um, this coming June. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, we have two children. Um, my oldest daughter is 14. Um, she just turned 14. And my son is four. So we and he just turned four. So we are on I always say, just always keep us in in your prayers because we are on the the spectrum we have the teenage girl and then we have the toddler boy, so that that's our life um in a nutshell. <laughs> people understand when you when you say that so um, so after I graduated high school um and again this is this is my mom, you know being my mom i I actually thought I was gonna go to u n c at Chapel Hill. That is, I was dead set on going there. And I was like, that's where I want to go. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to do. And I didn't get a full scholarship there. Um, and at the time, I don't know if they, if schools still do that that way, but it was like I would have paid more because I'm an out-of-state student and things like that. And so my mom took my transcripts from high school um, and from Hack, my senior year of high school, I actually went to Hack or Harrisburg Area Community College, and they would allow us to take, you know, college classes. Um, and the great thing is, is that I was then able to transfer those credits that I had at HACC to my four year institution. And I actually graduated in three years instead of four. So, but how I got to Virginia Union in Richmond, Virginia, um, there was a program that I was involved in at high school and one of the board members was actually a board member, um, at the school and my mom like talked me up and she gave them my transcripts and gave them my academic record. And I had never thought about Virginia Union. Um, I didn't really know much about it, um, but my mom was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, send them your information. Make a long story short, they ended up offering me full presidential scholarship to attend that school. Um, awesome. And so I went um, and I'll be honest, I went reluctantly um, because I have my mindset set on going to <laughs> UNC. And if you know anything about Virginia Union, it is a small Historically Black College and University in Richmond, Virginia. I would say at the time when I went there, the total student body was like fifteen hundred students. You know, very very small. the The whole campus is is probably like two blocks long. You know, and that was from me um, going so much at UNC. And I remember going there, and my mom was trying to like you know boost it up, and she's just like, "Oh, look at these." Beautiful buildings and all these things. And I'm just like, okay. But that you know, is such
0: a mom thing to I do. I know.
1: <laughs> and so I but to make a long story short, it was the best decision I ever made. And and I think, you know, I always credit my mom for that because it it, it was what I needed as far as having a more close knit um, school a school that they actually know, know you, they knew, you know, especially within the science world where that major could be even smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, Having professors who were very um, invested in me, which then led me to have other projects, you know, being able to then later do research at places like John Hopkins and UPenn and things like that from, from those experiences and opportunities that I had at, at Virginia union, um, so I always credit my mom for, for having me go there because it was definitely the, the best decision um, for, for me. And then part of that, again, best decision is that um, Boston University uh, Chobanian and Avaston School of Medicine, I have to remember the new name, um, they have what's called an early medical school selection program. And that early medical school selection program is for students who attend historically Black colleges and universities, as well as um, schools that are Hispanic or Latinx predominant. And it allows you to actually get accepted um, um, conditionally to Boston University at the end of your sophomore year. So you apply for that at the end of your sophomore year, and if you're selected, you come up um, for two summer sessions, the first one in the summer of your sophomore year and then the second one in the summer of your junior year. and then you actually spend your full senior year at Boston University. And you are while you're doing that your full senior year, you're taking whatever requirements you need to graduate from your home institution. But the blessing is is that you're also taking medical school classes. So I was able to take medical school classes. Well, for me, my my senior year was really um, just me filling it up with extra classes because I had already graduated technically from, from Virginia Union by graduating early. So I remember taking, like, I took a pottery class and, you know, <laughs> things Why like not? that. I know. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'll take advantage of this, you know. I did take like physio and some cuz I wanted to like still stay on top of stay <laughs> stay on top of my game per se. So I did still take like a physiology class and things. But I remember taking like this pottery, you know, and putting stuff in the kiln and doing all bringing all this stuff home. And I but the great thing is that you did get to take med school classes. So my first year of med school um I, you have to have certain, you know, GPA, certain MCAT scores, certain things like that to automatically matriculate. But once I automatically matriculated um, into the med school, I had a lighter first year load compared to some of my other classmates. So I could spend a little longer in the anatomy lab or help more, you know, with the dissections or things like that because I had already taken histo, you know, and and the great thing is if you got certain scores or above, you don't have to repeat them, you know, repeat them again. So that was a a really big um, blessing for me. And I think also it helps to, we always talk about this with the EMSSP being that sense of your family while you were there. Um, You know, you learn and you meet your classmates at the end of your sophomore year. So... um, Full circle. Um, mm-hmm. One of my classmates is now the director of the EMSSP program, and I was just helping out with interviews not you know not too long <laughs> ago. So I think it's it again that full circle moment of like how you know someone has helped you, so you're going to always continue to give back and and kind of help the next person because you know how important that journey was um, for you as well. Um, so then after med school. I, uh, kind of figure out, well, I guess if I go like third, fourth year, I had to kind of figure out like, what do I want to go into? Mm And, (laughs) and I honestly thought I was going to be a pediatrician is what I thought I was going to be. Um, and I realized, well, I realized very early in my medical school career that I'm not a surgeon. Um, I do not like the OR. I don't like anything about it. I had too many basil bagel episodes happen in the OR. There we go. <laughs> so I yeah. realized that's very enough. early. Yes, very early <laughs> that um I'm probably not a surgeon. That that's not that's not the best field for me. Um and then I, I like kids, but I just need adult conversation. Like I can't just talk to kids all day long. I really needed some adult conversation. And I always like the aspect of like community medicine, community health, entire families. and BU actually had when I was in at med school, they actually had a track for students who were interested in community health centers and, and community health care. So I did that track. And so when it would um, when you would start within your first and second year where you would still get the clinical exposure, my first site was at Dorchester Community Health Center. Um, And so I always had that more community family kind of feel. Um, So my first rotation was actually family medicine and i hadn't thought about family i was still gung ho of doing pediatrics um but i was like hmm i really like this and my preceptor um although he was very hard on me um is my like i still talk to dr chingali to this day um and that was really my biggest push of wow i really like family and so it was my first rotation and after that, I had everything else to compare it to. So it was like, okay, I like peds, but I I, I can't just talk to kids all day. And I, and I realized I don't really like really sick kids. That just hurts my heart so much. So I said, okay, I don't think I want to do just peds all the time. But see, family, you can do peds. I really loved women's health and OB. But I'm not a surgeon, so I I love the OB part and the in the in the prenatal care and all that. But I am not trying to do no hysterectomies and all okay. that. you know I'm not I'm not a surgeon. I don't want to do that. And then I'm like I don't even want to do C sections. I just want to deliver the babies. And then if, if I can <laughs> go to my OB friends to to do the C sections because I don't like the OR. Um, and I, I like inpatient medicine, but I don't want to do that all the time. So it was like, family is the one thing where you can do a little bit of everything, you know, you never know what is going to be in that room. And even though you may think like, oh, the chief complaint is this, it could be something totally different when you go in and you talk to the person Mm -hmm. and it has that variety of, you know, one room I could be seeing a a well child check. The other room I could be seeing a diabetic patient, or I could be seeing them all at the same time because they're all in the same family. So I'm Mm -hmm. seeing the mom is here because she's following up for her high blood pressure, but I also scheduled her son to come right after, so I could do his well child visit for him. You know, so it's like you really get ingrained in people's family, and I think that is something that I really enjoyed and one of my friends from um in med school would always talk about like how I was always the one about what happened next. I always wanted to know what happened next to the patient like well, what was their outcome? And what happened next? And I would go back and look in the chart or do something. And so I love that continuity with it is that you get to follow along with the patient and you know, like that you're really making a difference because you're actually getting to see the change that you are trying to implement or trying to help or trying to do. And, you know, I've had patient experiences where they're like, man, Dr. Gilbert, if you care that much, then I'm going to try, you know, just because next time I don't want to come with the same, you know, hemoglobin A1C, I want to do something <laughs> different because you really care that much about it. Um, and so that was just one thing that I always love is like the continuity of being able to follow along and really have that that input for for the um, patient. So that's how I ended up choosing family medicine. And I stayed in Boston, and I did my residency there at um, Boston Medical Center Residency Program. And it was it was a really great experience because, again, my continuity clinic was at Codman Square Health Center. Um, and so I really enjoyed the community aspect and the community involvement. And then also just the collaborativeness of the care, um, because within the health center system, you know, you we could go right upstairs and I could go talk to the cardiologist or, you know, go right upstairs and take the patient to the psych, like literally walk my patient to their psych appointment or to, you know, if they needed something, we had a pharmacy right downstairs, you know, we also had like a farmer's market and you could give the patient, um, quote unquote prescriptions. For them to go to the farmer's market to be able to get fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, it was really that community feel, like realizing that we truly are a patient centered home and how all of us play a role. We even dental care, you know, we all had like everybody played a role, um, you know, social worker and caseworkers, everybody. And so I really, really enjoyed that that aspect um, of it. And you know, Boston is a great place to to train. Um, it's definitely a great place to learn. I think for another podcast, I will talk about my personal experiences in Boston. <laughs> We'll save that. I used another... to live there. I,
0: I, I hear what you're saying without you needing to say. Yeah,
1: that. we'll we'll save that for another podcast. We're all just mm-hmm. focusing on my educational experience, but educationally and tra- and for and to train, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, you know, Boston Medical Center. I feel like I am and, and and going to Boston University School of Medicine. I feel like I I had a wonderful education, came out very very prepared you know, very complex patients, things that you would not, you would not see, um, patients I remember till this day, you know, and experiences that I remember and people I still talk to till this day, um, as well too. So, so definitely a great place to train. I would recommend, um, training in Boston. It's, it's a great place to train, but, um, so after that, while I was in Boston, though, I met my husband and, um, we actually got married as soon as I I graduated med school, probably about two weeks later, got married.
0: And I then... forgot when you told this story. Yeah. That's so stressful. And, I don't know how you did
1: that. <laughs> I graduated med school, then about two weeks later, got married, went on a honeymoon, and then to about well, maybe two weeks later, started residency as an intern, and so 2008 was was a very busy, very very busy year for for us. Um, and then shortly after that, I found out I was pregnant. So, <laughs> so yeah, we learned we had a honeymoon baby, and um, so that was an experience of being a pregnant intern. You know, um, definitely an experience. Um, great thing with family is it's about family, you know. Mm-hmm. And I felt like my residency program was very supportive, and 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 my colleagues were very supportive as well. Because you know, your your co-residents and, and and who you're working with, they're going to be covering you when you go out, you know, on on leave. And we all just work so well together. Um, and I get that question a lot when, when, um, students see I have children or things like that and they're like, well, how did you do it? How did you manage it? You know, um, is it possible because people think, okay, if I, if I go into the career of medicine, do I have to wait 10 years to start my family or, you know, all those type of things. I think it, anything is doable if you, if you put your, the effort, you know, to it. And I always say, you know, make sure you put family first, everything else will fall into line. You know, we, we found ways to get coverage and I think we're not, we're not, um, trained to think that way, you know, we're trained to always put medicine first. Um, but I, but you have to remember, you know, you are a person and, you know, if, if, if a family is something that you want, it's, it's possible. Don't delay your dream or what, what you want to do because you think it's not possible in your career. Cause I, you know, was, I had my daughter during intern year, was it hard? Yes? <laughs> yes, it was hard. Um, you know, very blessed to have supportive residents and, and faculty and my husband. but it, it, but it was hard but it, but it, but it was doable, you know and and yes, you have some of the, I'll be honest, I had some of the mother's guilt because I felt like I wasn't there as much as I wanted to be there for her. When I came back from maternity leave, I was on night float. So I literally, you know, couldn't really, it was like, I saw her when I woke up and then she went off to school for the day. I saw them when I came home, then I went to work, you know, for 12 hours, you know? And so, yeah, you go through those emotions where I go to, I remember going sometimes to the daycare and people always know my husband Cause he had more of the nine to five, but no, I was like, I'm Brooklyn's mom. Like I'm actually, you know, I'm her mom. Um, So yeah. So you go through those, those kind of phases. Um, But after residency, my husband wanted to, to move back home. And so we moved to Jackson, Mississippi. And I lived there for six years. Um, And it was, it was a, a very interesting experience. I think because I came from, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, um, where there is a lot of um, more redi- readily available healthcare. That was that was there. You know, between if if you couldn't get a patient within Boston Medical Center, you had you know Mass Gen, you had Beth Israel, you you had Brigham's, you had all these other you know major health systems that you could utilize. Where you know. When when I was there, University of Mississippi Medical Center is the only academic center in the entire state, and so you know there was a lot of those different challenges. I think for me, um, having to navigate through that, where I was very used to to having more access to what I needed, and then kind of figuring out how can I still care for this patient when I may not have the same access that I used to have before um and i think also dealing trying to navigate being um an outsider mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah. because i come from uh, as as someone once told me that i'm a northerner you know and things like that that i had never really thought about or put into to context um but i learned that very quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> when i was there um And, and I think also just sometimes I I always struggle with how we can be such an advanced country, but still have areas that are so, so underserved, um, in our own backyards. You know, we were, um, just in Jackson, uh, Mississippi for, uh, visiting with family And I don't know if you guys have um, heard heard this previously, but there's the water crisis there, where they just don't have water. I mean, to make a long story short, there's just they don't have access to water, and it's been an ongoing thing for a long, long time. And I we were, you know, at my mother in law's house, and we lost water. And you don't think about like how essential. water is like water, you know, we think of it simply like, Oh, I can't brush my teeth or whatever, but no, think about it. Like like from a hygiene personal standpoint, like you can't flush your toilet. You cannot wash your hands. You cannot bathe, you know, you, all of these like essential things that we take for granted that we had no water, like none. Now, my we were blessed, um, that my in laws they were able to go to a house up that they have outside of Jackson. We were blessed to be able to go to a hotel, but it but it just really made me, I, I it was just mind boggling because the hotel I stayed at was probably about seven, eight my maybe seven eight miles from where we were so it was the you know the big contrast but and not too far 10 minutes 10 minute drive 15 minutes drive i'm here staying at a hotel in this area that had um like one of the shopping areas the outdoor shopping areas and they have the water fountain going just going water fountain going like not a care in the world water fountain going contrast to go maybe 10 miles south <laughs> in Jackson and they don't even have drinking water so it's you know like and I shouldn't even say drinking water, like no water like nothing was coming out of the faucets like literally nothing coming out of the faucets and so it's just a huge you know reality, I think is, is what makes me continue to want to do what I do. Um, because it's like, wow, like I'm so blessed to be able to have this opportunity, um, and, and to just make a small difference if it's even, you know, that, that small difference. Um, but then I got the itch that I wanted to come back home. Um, I wanted to be closer to, to family and, and I and I really am blessed that I made made that decision because um not too long after I came back home I lost my, my stepdad um to ALS. And, um, even though he, you know, technically he's my stepdad, he's like my dad. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm really blessed that we didn't know that that was going to be our last year with him, but, um, it was our last, our last year from 2017 to 2018 with him. So I'm really blessed that we made that decision to to, to come back home. And I came to Penn state because, that is one of the only academic centers that's you know with here within Harrisburg. I mean, you can go to Philadelphia, of course, or um, Pittsburgh, but um, I didn't want to make that hour and a half drive every day. Um, my husband actually does it because he works at UPenn, but I <laughs> I didn't want to want to have to do that. So um, I decided to come back to Penn State, and I, I'm so blessed that I made that decision because. Um, it was it was really a place that I felt like I could really grow in my profession and in my career. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do academic medicine. I mean, I like patient care, but I always knew that it wasn't something I wanted to do every single day. And I love academic medicine because you are expected to do other things as well. And of course, we love seeing patients, but... I also love teaching. You know, I told you I wanted to be an elementary school teacher and I love teaching and that's (laughs) what I wanted to do. I love administration work. Like I love being able to be in leadership. I love being able to, now I'm trying to get more into like research, you know, just all these opportunities. And when I was coming to Penn State, I learned that all of these opportunities are available. And one of the things people had told me is that you're going to have to learn how to say no, because I can see you getting involved in so many things. And that's what I ended up doing. I um, came, I, I, you know, worked at NICE, um and saw my patients there, but I started teaching in one of our courses um, that we have here that teaches students history and physical exam skills, Um, I started um, working with our underrepresented in medicine students, um, and I uh, worked with the Office of Student Affairs and started working there. Mm -hmm. I also was previously the vice chair for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, for the Department of Family and Community Medicine, where I started a task force and a lot of the DEI initiatives that we have um, within um, the Department of Family Medicine. Um, And just kind of throughout, I've served like on different task force and worked on many different areas and um, kind of done a little bit of different things within the College of Medicine. And then the opportunity to become associate dean for admissions presented itself. And I really like, uh, again, talking about going back full circle, thinking about how people were so instrumental to me. Um, to be able to be blessed to go to med school, that I want to be able to be a part of help helping students to to do that as well. Um, and I also love the opportunity to be innovative and I love the opportunity to help and to help evolve things. And you know I, I really love that and then I always say that's what you know why we go into medicine because you're a forever learner. Um, And I feel like this is also an area where I can make a big impact. And I love, I love knowing that as well, too. Um, And so that's one reason that I was able um, to apply. I applied for the associate dean in admissions. And I've been in that position now about, oh, it's been over six months. Believe it or not, (laughs) I got in that position in September. um, So it's been about, about six months. Um, So, yeah, so that, that takes me. (laughs) Along along the journey there.
0: <laughs> so you pretty much ticked off every single thing that we <laughs> talked about that we wanted to ask you about. So that's great. So we're off to a good start. One thing that I know from having met you and and having the pleasure of getting to talk with you in in person before, is the importance that your your faith has played in your journey. Mm -hmm. One of the struggles that I have working with some of my students is that they don't always see their own faith as something that they they can talk about as a part of their journey. They tend Mm -hmm. to sort of like really pull back from it Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating because I'm like, this is so core to your identity Mm -hmm. and to your sort of push to go into medicine. I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about how your faith has influenced your journey and how it has improved the service that you do provide because I know it to be such an integral part of who you are and how you provide service. And I think our students would really benefit from hearing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so for me, I think, it, it's, it's been always like, for me, a center of how I feel like I'm able to do anything that I can do. And yeah. I feel like God has put me in this place for a moment, for a reason to do his work. And it helps me to rest to know that I'm not alone in doing this work, mm-hmm. that I have someone who is there to guide me, to help me. To, to know that they're also looking over every single aspect of what I do. Now, wow. I'm working on always, you know, being able to relinquish it and remember those things, but it's really what has kept me grounded. And, you know, even sometimes when I'll have patients who say, well, thank you, thank you. No, don't thank me. It wasn't me. Or patients say, well, how did you think that it wasn't me you know or or anything of that nature and and i and I, you know it's very interesting because i i remember one time i think i was um i think i was a resident and i had a patient say mm, i'm surprised that as a physician you would believe in god and I, and and i and i could understand their perspective because i think a lot of times we lose we we think that we don't see who we are as humans, mm-hmm. like we see ourselves as physicians. And that is all evidence and science-based. But what people have to understand, and I think that what guides me, is mm-hmm. there is a lot of unknowns sometimes within yeah. medicine because it's always evolving. And there's mm-hmm. not always that clear-cut this, that, this, and that. And the way that it's always evolving there is because of a higher power, you know, and, and I think that for me, I, and I, and I responded to him, I said, well, you know, it, for me there's no other way for me to to mm-hmm. to not believe because there's no way we would be able to do all these things or have all these advances or help so many people if there wasn't a higher power that's guiding us you mm-hmm. know so that that's more my perspective as far as mm-hmm. what allows us to do what we have to do is my faith you know my higher power with believing in god and having my faith and knowing that and i realized the littlest things that, that help people. Um, I know like when I'm talking to my the nurses and I'm sending the nurses a message and, and I'll go, thank you and have a blessed day. I never really paid much attention to how that could help somebody, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or if I'm emailing someone and I'll say, hi, I, the, you know, this is Dr. Gilbert. I hope this message finds you blessed. Dah, 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 dah. Thank you. Have a blessed day. And so many people are just like it's just a gentle reminder sometimes mm-hmm. that you just never know what that person might be going through or just how it just brightened up their day. So I I had a conversation with one of my students because we were talking about it. Um, we a lot of faith based groups at Penn State College of Medicine, and you know that question always comes up like Dr. Gilbert, you're not, um you know, you're so open about your faith and, and, and you're not afraid to to do that. How do you, why, how is that so comfortable for you? And I think for me, it's just always remembering and trying to ground myself as being a human first and, and give myself that same grace that I would give anyone else that is a, mm-hmm. a human. Like, would we, would we question any other person about that, you know, if, if we were, I don't know if it was, um, um, I don't know, someone working at the grocery store and, and, and they mentioned their faith, would we say, how do you think that, you know, we would never question it. And so I think it's about looking at ourselves as we're human. We're, 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 we're people. Um, and just as that is important to anyone else there, then it, it is important to us too. And, and I think for me, in certain aspects, I think that it has helped me um, when there are things beyond my control. Yeah. Um. And, and I think that that is one thing that, I ha- that has helped to keep me grounded um, because there are so many things within our profession that are beyond our control. Yeah. And I think that that's the one thing that has helped me. When there are those tough situations, there are those tough conversations, there are those things that are just beyond your control. and it helps you to just kind of ground yourself again and know that nothing happens that God doesn't allow to happen. And if he put me in this in this situation, it's for a reason. Yeah. and I have I may not understand it. <laughs> I may yeah. not know the reason right now. But it will all come back into full circle. And so for me, it's just my gentle reminder every day of just thanking him for the privilege that I have to, to be where I am now and to just always acknowledge that I'm not
0: doing this by myself. Okay. So I kind of want to pivot a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know. I, you've talked about like innovation and sort of like the evolution of things in your practice. How does that translate into what you're looking for as an admissions officer mm-hmm. in the students that you are looking for? Because, yeah. you know, as pre-health advisors, we know how like wildly difficult your job is. Yeah. And I... Yeah, I, I know our job is hard. I know your job is also very hard. How do you try and look for that? How have you seen it in applications? What can that look like?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I will say, I think this is also going into a good thing mm-hmm. in that acknowledging that we are more than just our academics, mm-hmm. and and I think that and 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 you know, if, if we're honest, if you go back years and years and years ago that was the main focus was academics I mean let's let's just be honest that was and you guys probably know as pre-health advisors right Yep. I remember when I was in school you know in undergrad it was like I gotta get an A in everything I gotta have an A I better have an A you couldn't have a B you better not have a B on your you know on your transcripts oh my goodness you'll never get into med school so I think which is great, is that we're shifting from that. And that's not to undermine that academics is not important. That's not to undermine it at all. Academics is extremely important because I, I'm sure you guys, you know, um, counsel your students on the rigorousness of medical school. It is yep. difficult. It is hard. So, and it it never stops, you know, <laughs> like... You got to take your USMLE exams, and then you got to take your board certification exams, and you have to do your CME, and you're always learning, so it yes. never stops. <laughs> and if and being a great doctor is that you're always learning. You know, you're always reading about the new guidelines. You're always trying to better yourself. There are things that I did as a resident that we don't do today because we just have more information and guidance and all of those type of things. So. I think that that is where we're evolving to when when I talk with applicants is like okay yes you're smart you have great gpa you have great mcats but what else yeah. what else is there and you know what patients want that too they want the what else mm-hmm. you know they 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 yes i know you're smart i know i know those things i know that but what else about you that's going to make me connect with you and and tell you things that I may not even even told my wife, you know, about? Yeah. And so those are the other things that we're looking at, like your ways that it's showing that you are able to connect with people, whether that's via your service, whether mm-hmm. that's via your volunteerism, whether that's via your advocacy whether that's via your outreach, you know, and then how do you lead? How how do you lead, but lead effectively, not yeah. lead in a more dictator, I tell you what to do, right? Because we know that, that that's not, we're not in that realm of medicine anymore. It's not just, okay, whatever the doctor says is what happens. We know of the more team-based approach, which is Better. You know, I love collaborating. I love working with everyone else. Everyone has something positive and great to bring to the team, which at the end of the day is to help the patient to to succeed. So, how do you show that? You know, how do you, whether it's, you know, you working as um, president of, of your student club. But you can show that you guys have done these different initiatives where you've worked as a team and incorporated everybody and everybody's input. Um, You know, so we're looking for those those type of things when we think about things that you've done outside of medicine you know is there any work experience that you have or other experiences that you can bring some unique experiences that you may have done that are that are different that would you know help us to um to to that would actually be an asset to your other classmates by giving them that perspective and of course with us we're one of our biggest pill- one of our pillars is humanities so we're looking for that humanistic side of you, you know, that experience, whether it's through coursework or through work that you've done outside to show that you understand that humanistic side of medicine, too. And not that this is always a requirement, and I always... Um, uh, like our director who uses this term is that you don't need research to get in but you do need research to get out because we do have a requirement for research but we all know that a lot of our innovations come from research you know yeah. and and how important clinician researchers are so if you have some of that experience as well so so yeah. you're right in that it, it you know and this is all public you can you can go on our website and see this but we we get, um, 8,000 secondary applications and we're only able to offer 800 interviews. So that's a one in 10 who are going to be able to get an interview. And the, you know, of those, that those one in one of 10, what else is seeking, you know, that's different outside of your academic metrics, Like, what else is it about you that can make you kind of stand out a little bit amongst them? So it's like, wow, I really want to I want to meet this person. You know, I want to I want to learn more about their journey and more about their experience and and really see, oh, wow, I could look here. They this looks great. You know, those type of things that that I think and I think. All of us, and I say all of us, I, I'm not just saying Penn State, but I'm saying in general. You know, you'll see on the AAMC website where they talk about the holistic review, and that has been in play for a number of years. And I think we're moving even more towards that. So, um, mm-hmm. even one example, um, if, if you guys probably already know this, but AMCAS is adding a social justice advocacy um, uh, part of the work experience. You know they're looking. That that's another asset that 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 people have found is important. That they're even adding that to that the application. You know, so those are things that I think um, as we evolve, that we're learning. Like, hey, it's more to a physician just than just being smart. <laughs> We're smart. You got to be smart. Don't don't take that away. <laughs> you got to be smart. You got to be smart. But we yeah. also want to see other things about you as well.
0: Yeah. We, one of the things that we know is that, in my opinion, when students look at undergrad institutions, so much of your experience is what you make of it. hmm I do not feel like that translates to medical school, mm-hmm. right? And we stress so heavily with our students the importance of a good fit for the school yes. that you apply to. Yes, Can you tell us a little bit about what makes the Penn State College of Medicine student like how do they stand out from the applicants from other institutions? What's unique about the molding that happens at Penn state Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that might help our students figure out that's the way that I want (laughs) to grow and be molded so that I can figure out how I'm going to turn out on the other end. What, what, What do you think is happening in the Penn state special pressure cooker of wonder and magic?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, I would have to say, I agree with you. Like, Med school itself is so hard that you mm-hmm. want to be at a place where you fit in and you feel supported, yes. and that's and that looks different for everyone. And so yeah. that's for the student to figure that out for them. So I think what we do um, is is a, is a couple of things. Uh, one, we did talk about you know our um, four pillars. So Uh we do look beyond just the preclinical year, which is like your basic sciences and all of that science um, uh, knowledge that you need. Then we think about, you know, your clinical years, which I should call them more because we do more phases. But then we think about the clinical years where you get that hands-on experience. You're really learning how that to do patient care. But then we have our health humanities. And that's really about talking about who you are as a human. And there's going to be some tough conversations there because there's going to be some things about yourself that you're learning that then you have to be vulnerable and transparent amongst your classmates in this small group. And then you're going to have to learn how to navigate through that. How do I navigate through experiences when it comes to race and ethnicity? Or how do I navigate through experiences when it comes to the LGBTQA community and I I'm not familiar or have not had to talk about those things. Um how do we talk about health equity? How do we and, and not realizing our own privilege that we have, you know. Those are tough conversations. <laughs> those are tough conversations that we have within our our health humanities. And the other part that I think is makes us unique is the health system science that we have, because it helps you to try to answer the whys and understand the systems. So, you know, one example that um, Dr. DeWaters gave um, at our second look day was like thinking about, okay, here's a patient who needs this service. Mm -hmm. How do we get it for them? how do we get through the system to make sure that they need this service? And if there's barriers there, how do we rectify those barriers so that they don't keep this patient from getting that service? Is it something when it comes, so, you know, just throw out something with no-shows or something like that. So we immediately think, oh, this patient didn't show for their appointment. Oh, I don't want to Oh, they're non-compliant, or you know, we, we don't like to use that word anymore because we know that it is totally unfair. But you know, people would get labeled as non-compliant. Well, no, did they not get the reminder? Because only our reminders um, send a text, and they pushed the wrong button. I've had that happen where actually a patient pushed one instead of zero, and their pay- and their appointment got canceled. You know, and they didn't understand how that happened. So that's a systems issue. Mm-hmm. Is it they don't have transportation? They couldn't get there. You know, they c- couldn't get to our So do we offer them a share ride or we have a program to help them get there? So that's, you know, our students are looking at that. Like they're looking through and even with our, um, we have the patient experience. It used to be called the patient navigation program, but they're looking through that where you're actually assigned one or two patients and you visit that patient at their homes. You work with them directly. You are like their navigator through that health system. And you will communicate with their that person's patient, their, their primary care provider. You will reach out to the specialist. You will reach out to the social worker on the patient's behalf. So you're looking at it from perspective of the patient and being able to see what barriers it could be keeping them from being able to get that care. And then the it other thing is so humbling. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing because I think, and even in, in, in my world, you know, of just understanding that that perspective, because little things that you just take for granted where it, it's like, well, wait, okay, you didn't show or, or, okay, well, I see you didn't take your, you didn't pick up your prescription and, you know, oh, they're not adherent or things like that. And it's like, Well, you know, Dr. Gilbert, I didn't have the money. I couldn't afford to pay when I got the, I went, I actually went to pick it up. I actually did. And they told me that it was going to cost $20 in order for me to get it. So I couldn't get it. So then my job is to figure out how I can break that barrier for that patient. Do we have a prescription, you know, um, um, assistance program? Is there a way that we can get it for, you know, free, or is there something we could do to work with the pharmacy or is there a payment option or something like that? And I think we're, you know, we have to get away from it of like thinking that it's all just the patient's responsibility. Yes. Do patients have responsibility? Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. we also have a responsibility as healthcare providers and as a health system to ensure that there's nothing on our end that is leading to those health inequities. Um, but and then the other thing that I would say that that, you know, if if you're if you're wanting to go to a school that is cutthroat and, you know, all man for itself, that's not Penn State College of Medicine. <laughs> you know, we're we're very our students are very supportive of each other. You know, and, and I've heard from from students that sometimes even in undergrad, it's not that same, you know, within the, the, the science particularly, and everybody's trying to compete to, to get to med school and all this kind of thing. Penn State College of Medicine is not like that. You know, our students really work together. And that's one reason why we have, you know, first and um, I should say, I say first and second year, but phase one is pass fail. You know, it's pass fail, and right now, phase two is pass fail, because we 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 want you to. The only person you're competing against is yourself. You know, there that that we want you to be better. We don't want you to be better only because you're trying to updo this person or you think this is it. No, we want you to be the best you and the best physician you can be. So the only person you're competing against here is yourself. And it's our job to help support you and what you need to be successful. And together, the students work together. You know, you might be really good in in renal. And this person might be really good in in cardio rest. And let's all work together and see what kind of, you know, um, skills that you're using. And I feel like I can speak at least on that because I also do teaching and advising that it really is an environment where students want to work collaboratively with each other. It's really that collaborative environment where I want you to succeed as much as I want myself to succeed. And I want all of us to succeed together. And, 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 I, and I do truly get that feeling yeah. from our students, from the environment there, from from the administration of making sure that we're being able to provide, you know, what services everyone needs, you know, making sure you're aware of those from the beginning, whether it's our cognitive skills program where, you know, helps you with time management and study skills and helps because I always say to my students you've never done this before right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not wrong to to get help in the beginning because you've never done it before. you know I'm a family medicine doctor. we're all about prevention. We yeah. try to keep things from happening. <laughs> so let's be proactive here and go talk to our cognitive skills program. you know maybe you'll learn something about yourself that you didn't know you know we don't want you to wait until you have a hiccup or you fail an exam or something like that. We have that service available for you to go start from day one as you come. You know, we have a, a great, you know, professional of mental health um people find things out, you know, med school brings things out that you didn't know that you struggled with before. We have services for that. We have an you know, your advisor who's with you for 4 years. That person can really really get to know you and I Love it because I remember like my students now at Matt they were at Match day, and I remember when they first had their white coat ceremony, you know, <laughs> and now they're at you know at match day and finding out where they're going they went and found out where they were going for residency, and so you're with that person um for those for those four years, and so I think we really have that sense of community and like support and collaboration and really working together yeah. which i think and, and and I know that that may not be for everyone but I think mm-hmm. that that is what makes us special and unique is that we do have have those opportunities for students
0: good I, I I feel like med school is like so stressful on its own that like some students just don't need that extra push to like, Get stuff done. I think some people they like the competitive nature because it pushes them to like get things done. Uh, but that is not the right environment for everybody. I would not have been successful in that personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in thinking about the next step after medical school, how do does Penn State College of Medicine help support students in that very competitive, very challenging, stressful, residency yeah. application process what does that look like yeah. at your institution yeah
1: i think that's a great question um so one thing i would say and this is also public knowledge um you're able to see our if you go to our website they'll have the profiles for where mm-hmm. we match for the last couple of years and they'll even I mean they'll have the most recent one from match of 2023 the great thing is we had a 99% match rate and that is like, I know, dancing. Exciting. <laughs> and and that is um, something that we have seen for years. You know, that's not mm-hmm. just an anomaly for this year. That's something that we have seen for years. And I think it speaks on a couple of things. One, I think it speaks on like our advising that I mentioned too, The other thing is that you actually get that career experience, like shadowing and and connecting with people immediately. You know, now, granted, I will say COVID had put a hold on that with everything else COVID has done. You know, we were focusing on just being able to do, you know, clinical experiences for our phase two and phase three students and then had to hold for phase one. But now for phase one, you could come in first day if you want to go shadow, in derm, or go shadowing family medicine or, or anything you, you have, you can start that from, from day one. And I say why that's important because that also helps you to develop. Who am I, you know, yeah. what, what am I good at? What, what, and then once I've figured that out, what do I need to do to be competitive? We have um, so in addition to your society advisor, you also get a specialty advisor, Oh, cool. So you will have, once you decide like, okay, I think this is what I'm going to go into. You will actually get someone who's assigned as your specialty advisor. And that person is helping you to ensure that, okay, um, your your um, personal statement looks great. Your heiress application looks great. Let me look at your CV, you mm-hmm. know, and and as as an advisor, I do that as well. But again, I would love for everybody to go into family medicine, but I also know that everyone's not. And so I want them to have the perspective from someone who's in that specialty. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our residency directors are awesome. You know, they're always available for students to reach out to them, to talk to them, to get their perspective. Um, I remember we put something on um, about two years ago for our UIM students and all of the residency directors were like, I'll come, I'll come, you know, like it was so many represented there. Um, And then we help you as far as like making sure that you have, like if you need research, you know, research is a requirement. We have a requirement for research and our students come out with a lot of publications that they do. And that's even outside of their medical student research program. It's just, All of us here want students to work with us, and so we probably have more of the preceptors who are looking for students to join their research projects, you know, and and everybody comes in in different levels, and then we can support you that way as well. So um, we've been very successful with our matching um, mm-hmm. and, and great programs as well. Um, I, this year, we also had um, 36% went into a primary care specialty, which mm-hmm. is great um, as well, too. So so we're really doing a great job with, with the match and with
0: residency. Good. It, you know, to me, what comes across and like some things that you've talked about and some thematic things, throughout this conversation is this idea of community mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i think that are what i've seen at least in our students who ultimately are successful at at penn state i i see a few things one and we've talked about this previously i think a student who's willing to be transformed by their experiences who is not that person that's like hey i did this and it i you know it reconfirmed what i already knew it's more those students that are wow, I've been really changed by this. Mm -hmm. And the way that you're talking about specifically like the health system science, that's really what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You're looking for the transformations and their understanding of the complexity of the situation that patients finding themselves in. And that has a lot to do with understanding communities and being a part of those communities to understand those barriers. And then it sounds like your approach to really helping these students is as a community, it's not one person's job, Mm -hmm. which I think is some schools solution. And there's nothing wrong with that solution. They need to be highly specialized. But you know, there's that old saying, like, it takes a village. Yes, mm-hmm. And it really feels like that's how Penn State approaches mm-hmm. a lot of things. It's like, this is our collective responsibility. We are a community that is responsible for supporting and guiding these students. And I think that that's a good home for a very specific kind of student. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It it, it, it does. And, and we have so many different if anything that I say sometimes is I feel like students don't take advantage of them immediately. Yeah. And I understand why though. And the reason I understand is because this perception mm-hmm. of of need of of seeking extra help <laughs> can sometimes be looked down upon. You know, like you have this perception, like I have to be able to do it all. I have to do this. I have to do that. And that's not the case. Right. And so I think that that can sometimes hinder students. But we do. We're like a community community here.
0: Good. So let's go ahead and and cycle back to this conversation about these accelerated programs, Mm -hmm. these like hidden gems of Penn State. Can you give our listeners just a little bit of like what you think are like the really cool things that Penn State does that people don't often find on their own?
1: Yeah, yeah. So one um is as you mentioned our three plus accelerated programs. And what that does is it offers you an opportunity to complete medical school in three years instead of four years. Now that actually, you can think about a lot of the benefits from that potentially from a financial standpoint, you know, medical yeah. school is expensive and you are um, being able to save on one year that you, that you would have used um, from that aspect. The other thing that is exciting is that you're guaranteed a residency um, spot at Penn State Health. So it's another thing, like not to say that you don't have to think about it, but in the same aspect, you come in knowing that you're going to be a guaranteed resident within our program. And we have many different specialties that you can go into. There's the family medicine, um, internal medicine, ER, ortho mm-hmm. has one. You know, we have many different ones. There's a total of nine um, but it but it gives you that opportunity to, one, complete med school in three years instead of four. And then it also gives you the opportunity of having a guaranteed residency spot when you graduate. And, you know, it's not for everyone, right? Because you have to walk into the door knowing that's what you want to do because you're committed to that, right? You're committed to that specialty. But there are many students who do know that, who know Coming into the door, I want to go into X, Y, Z. And it gives you that opportunity to do that. And when you, once you, so in order to apply for those programs, you have to be accepted to the College of Medicine first. Mm -hmm. Then after you're accepted to the College of Medicine, you indicate if you're interested in any of those programs. And if so, then those programs will reach out to you directly to go through their application process. And each application process is different, and the number of students selected for each program is different. So they may select more students in family medicine than they may select in ortho or things like that. But they'll take you through those individual um, individual application processes. Uh, the other thing I think is unique. So cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the other thing I think that is unique is our global health scholars program. And this is just a wonderful opportunity for students to travel internationally and to actually serve underserved areas. Um, They are able to apply for this Global Health Scholars Program. Well, one, I should say this the great thing too is that it's longitudinal. Oh. It's not just, oh, you get one international experience within your four years. No, you're in this program for four years. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a longitudinal experience. So you apply for it in about August, September of your first year. Wow. Then- when you're selected that summer between your first and your second year, you travel internationally to your host country. Um, and we have a number of countries that are available um, Nepal, Ghana, um, you know, we, I think it's about seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. And, but in the meanwhile, before you even travel internationally, you're taking didactic sessions with your cohorts on. Things that affect international health, you know, um, things that you need to know specifically about global health. What are the barriers? What are things from the health inequities and learning more about your specific host country? So then, when you go and you travel there, the first summer is really for you just to get ingrained in the country and the culture and to really understand. Then after that, you continue to have didactics in phase two and phase three. and I'm sorry, in um, second year and then phase two, when you do your clerkships, you have some didactic work that you do. Then in phase three, which is, quote unquote, your fourth year, you return back to your host country, and that's where you actually go and provide clinical care. <sighs> So now you're at a point, you know, you're a fourth year med student. You kind of know what you're doing. (laughs) You got a little skills under your belt. So then you go back to your host country and actually provide them with care. So that's another unique experience that we have here that I think sometimes people don't know. Mm -hmm. And this one, I know a lot of people don't know because we just started it. But we also started a health equity scholars program. Mm -hmm. So instead of traveling internationally, You you serve underserved areas right here in Pennsylvania. So one of our sites is here in Harrisburg, and then we're establishing another site to do more rural health. So we have one urban track, and then we'll have a, a rural health track as well, too. And you have that same experience that it is when it comes to, like, the global health, but you're just not traveling internationally. You're servicing here in an urban or rural area. So that's one of our newer um, track programs that we just started this year.
0: That is awesome. Do you have like um, sites identified or is, mm-hmm. is it like more Philly and then some like.
1: So for Harrisburg, it's actually in at a clinic okay. called Beacon Clinic. OK. Um, and it's located in the uptown area of Harrisburg. Okay. For cool. our rural health, we're still um, designating that site, but we we should know know that soon. Um, but but yeah, so it's going to be specific sites. Um, our urban track is in Harrisburg.
0: Okay, very cool. I, you know, we have these like huge cities of Pittsburgh and Philly, and people forget Harrisburg is not a small place. <laughs> it's very <laughs> urban. It's yeah. not like urban in the way that Philly is urban yeah. but it's still very yeah. urban.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's still an underserved area. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still many areas within within Harrisburg that would be considered underserved. Um there's and I, I I'll share it with you. I'll I'll email it to you, but there is Ooh, cool. a great I, I shouldn't say it's great. It's not great, it's sad, but <laughs> it's a um it's a a demographic about the um uh um life expectancies. And it shows you in this area in Harrisburg, and I see, Kimberly, you're nodding, so you might have seen what, what I'm referring to, but it shows how, like, there's a huge disparity within just, like, crossing over the river or going here in, like, the Harrisburg area. Like, like big disparities, like seven years different or something like that within the, the health, you know, a life expectancy. And that's just mind-boggling to me because it's literally, like, you could go to the zip code 17104 or or you know another zip code and have a totally different health you know life yeah. expectancy and you're only like maybe a 10 minute drive from each other you know yeah. um so so you know we we are very blessed that a, a students have such an interest in this that then leads us to come up with the health equity scholars program or you know things like that because we have students who are involved already because they have that interest
0: so cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. we have so many students that come from rural areas and they want to be able to return to where they grew up and were formed by and so they are actively looking for schools where they can get that sort of insight and training, not just to their local community, but to other, you know, rural places. And we also have tons of students that are really looking for that urban experience, but still want to serve in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm so happy to hear that, you know, these tracks are coming online because these are things that I know students have looked at and really enjoy about other programs Mm -hmm. I have a lot of students that are interested in Temple because of their focus on serving the people of North Philadelphia. Mm, mm-hmm, this is a way to mm-hmm. be in a different med school environment and still be serving those patients that you want to be serving. Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. And and, so and the exciting. other thing that I will say that I love about Penn State is that if there's something that students want to establish or to do, we're all for it. You know, so one example... We always talk about is Lion Care, which is the the free health clinic that was started and run by students at, housed outside of Bethesda Mission, which is a uh, big organization here in Harrisburg that serves underserved communities. It also is a place for those who are unhoused to have a place to stay as well. And our students actually run a health a free health clinic there. Our students also came up with something called SCOPE and forgive me, you know, med school, one thing you learn, it's all about acronyms. <laughs> I can't remember the exact acronym, but SCOPE is basically a mobile clinic okay, that goes cool. out to the communities um, to, if you can't, you know, make it to a more standing um, health, a free health clinic. They actually go out to the communities and serve in urban and rural areas and provide. That's all student-led and student-run. So if there's things that students want to do or think to do, one great thing that I will say, I mean, we have over 90 probably plus student organizations and outreach and clubs.
0: That is very
1: high. Yeah, and they're always establishing more because someone comes in with a new idea, new thought, or sees a need that they then say, wait a minute, I could help fill that need for that community.
0: That's amazing. Okay, unfortunately, I think we're sort of like hitting the critical mass of time. (laughs) We might be hitting right at the edge of people's ability to stay engaged. (laughs) So why don't you share, like what is like the last thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with about Penn State College of Medicine and, and the wonderful things that they can do or expect?
1: Yeah, I would say don't don't hesitate to reach out to us um, because I do feel like we're a hidden gem and that there are things that you may not know about us and we're always happy to share. So if you have any questions, concerns, you can always visit our students admissions at pennstatehealth.psu.edu. You can send us an email, visit us on our website, you know, and we have wonderful students who are always willing to talk to other students. So don't hesitate to to reach out to us. Um, we'd be happy to answer any of your questions or give you more information about us. Okay.
0: i I really appreciate that because I think students are really hesitant to talk to admissions officers I think that they feel, and this, this is particularly pronounced with like our first-gen students are historically under-resourced and underserved. They feel like that that's not a line that they can cross or something that they can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just like, no, talk to them. They want to hear from you. So mm-hmm. it's so nice to hear it from you that you really want them to talk to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's 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 okay It's it, it, because... The thing that you mentioned is that the important thing is to be informed. That's uh-huh. the most important thing. And and there's only, buts. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, one thing we're trying to do, we're trying to update our website. It's hard to navigate. There's so much information. And I am not a type of person that just wants to be online. I want to talk to somebody, you mm-hmm. know, and so I understand what it's like to too, where you could go on there and find it and see it and all that stuff, but it's, it's different to, it, to actually hear somebody's perspective from it. Mm-hmm. So, and our students are so wonderful that, you know, I could reach out to someone and say, Hey, someone had a question. Could you, would you mind? And and I, I have never had a student tell me no, if anything, I've had to actually email them back and say, okay, I have enough students now. Thank you. I don't need any more, <laughs> you know? So I think we're very warm and welcoming, and anybody would be, if anyone has questions or anything, but would be happy to talk to them.
0: That uh, Thank you again for that. I, I know our students appreciate that, and I hope that our students take you up on your offer because I know the value that that provides, because there is such a difference between my students moving through a cycle who have taken the opportunity to talk to an admissions person mm-hmm. and understand how that real human on the other end of that application is is looking at you and wants you to be successful and wants to see you come through that application it looks so different mm-hmm. in how they present themselves so listeners please 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 <laughs> we're going to encourage you to do this probably in many more episodes but take these admissions officers these wonderful folks from these medical schools who want to help you take them up on their offer and get that information yeah
1: yeah and we look forward to coming back to Everly College of Medicine um, again and so please come to the informational session again
0: (laughs) we have we still have students talking about that that how much they learned and how much they enjoyed it and could see themselves at Penn State College of Medicine and that's the way you should feel to every school you're applying exactly exactly Dr. Gilbert, thank you so much. No, it's been you. such a pleasure. This has been
1: great. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I, you know, we are, we're trying to create things for students that are giving them the information that we want them to have and we think they deserve to have. And I feel like we have given our students so much that they deserve today. Great, great. Thank you so much. Happy to, to be a part of it. All right. To our listeners, thank you for joining us this week on the Penn State Pre Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre Health Podcast is a production of the Pre Health Advising Office in the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only, and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre health students across the university system.